How discerning are you? Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And today we're going to be talking about discernment, Agnes of Bohemia, and a lot of different stuff. So thank you for joining us. Let's stimulate those nerves. And I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. There are two others with me here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us as we begin? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we thank you for your many blessings and for your gift of time and space that we may come and gather and have this conversation. So we pray that it would be uplifting for those who are hearing it. May they receive encouragement and also the spur to mission. Give your people peace, we pray. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, so I want us to actually begin with a meme that I made. This is an excerpt from my sermon that I had on Acts chapter 5. And I want us to talk about discernment, because we often think of discernment being something which is kind of far off, something mysterious and way out there in the ether, but I actually think it's a lot closer than we realize. And here, I'm going to posit this to you. Discernment is remarkably straightforward. It's like knowing the mob committed a murder. You know, we see this all the time. The mob kills somebody, but you can't really prove it in the court of law. So your hope is you can get the mob boss on tax evasion or something <laughs> like that, but never really on the principle of their crime. Like we see this happen all the time. But a lot of times what happens to us in the, the Christian world is that because we can't articulate in legal jargon why it really was that the mob committed a murder as opposed to some sort of phony suicide, you know, they go over there and say, hey, you know, be a terrible thing if Johnny had an accident and committed suicide with a knife in his chest next week, something like that. Because we can't prove that it was murder to satisfy the legal jargon, we take our discernment where we really know what's true and we put it in a cage and we ignore it. We feel as if we have failed. However, I want us to realize that technical jargon is the devil's play. And I think this is also why the love of money is the root of all evil. I think these are all woven together. Technical jargon is something the devil loves. And just because we haven't satisfied the devil doesn't mean we miss the truth. Just because we can't get the devil to admit what is true, because we can't argue on the terms of hell enough to satisfy him, doesn't mean we missed the Holy Spirit. Being mysterious doesn't nullify the Holy the Holy Spirit. And in fact, it's kind of the Holy Spirit's thing to be mysterious and inexplicable. <laughs> so that's kind of my proposition I'm throwing out there to y'all, that discernment may actually be a lot more common than we think, but because it doesn't come to us in sort of a big legal packet of earthly terms, we kind of throw it away like it's not really real. Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the, the enemy's tactics is to confuse us and confuse those who have, uh, you know, seen and there's evidence out there, but the whole jargon and the 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 absence of of uh, of really truth coming straight out and being obvious is 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 the ploy to keep you to just put it away and just ignore it. But the truth is, we are called to be people of discernment, and we have to get beyond this legal jargon. Yeah, Pastor Minnow, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the reason we often think of discernment as being something tricky or even Gnostic that only like the select few have is because um, we do have a lot of voices speaking into our, our decision-making process. And so we don't always know how to discern the discernment. Um, and we often, yeah, like you said, I, I think your analogy of putting in a cage is really quite apt because we're not entirely sure how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit can be fickle. Um, and so anytime there is that, whether we call it a gut feeling or the check of the Holy Spirit, we, we're not entirely sure how to act on it. 
And it is easier to kind of sublet that uh, discerning process to something or someone else or a different system uh, because we don't trust ourselves. And ultimately, though, what we're confessing is, is we don't trust the Holy Spirit or God to help us move through whatever may need to be discerning, small or, or big. Yeah, and that's exactly where this conversation is going because we need to be discerning people who clearly see what is true. The church shouldn't be waiting around for hindsight to see what things really are. <laughs> we should be people on the forefront of declaring the good, the true, and the beautiful. And that's what's beautiful about sanctification. It really opens your mind to see truth even when you can't always come to the world or to hell on hell's terms and explain it to them in such a way that the devil says, you know what? Ah, dang, you finally got me. You had the right evidence to make me admit that I'm a fraud. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit, nowhere are we told in Scripture that discernment will come to you in a form that does satisfy all the demands of the world. That's, mm. that's not its purpose. And the particular Scripture we're going to look at here in a moment is out of Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. But before we get to that, I really just want us to realize that it is God who wants us to be certain and have our minds freed where we can see clearly, and it's hell that wants us to be uncertain. Because if we take our discernment and we put it in a cage, well, then we'll never stand up for what is good and true. You're completely prepared to be ruled, to be served up to hell on a dish, and it's just wicked. Pastor Mike. Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the the uh, goals of the devil is to get us to be passive. And we have to reject this passivity because we have to invest the energy to listen to the Holy Spirit, to receive discernment, and to stand for, for what is right. And so that, that takes a lot, little, a lot of energy in some cases, but the more we do it, the more uh, the Holy Spirit works and it's easier to communicate and, understand, and have discernment. So, yes, but I think that that whole passivity is something that is very uh, slippery slope to really disbelief and, and uh, spiritual neglect. Yeah. You mentioned the word passive. I think this is pretty important because as anyone who knows me will know, I'm big into reading the classics of literature. I actually think if you want to have a good education, read the classics of literature. That will do so much for you. Um, you got young ones teaching the classics of literature. That That is so valuable. Um, in John Milton's Paradise Lost, which is this kind of the story of the fall. It's it's really a commentary on the fall and the sin of Adam and Eve and how the armies of hell conspired against God. They didn't think they could take God head on, so they thought the best way to really prove God wrong is to corrupt God's chief creature, Adam and Eve. But when God is looking at the whole situation and God recognizes the sin of Adam and Eve, he describes it as passivity. They took their ability to think, their mind, which is sufficient to stand, though free to fall, all of their innate talents, their ability to reason, their ability to stand, to love, to do noble things, Adam and Eve made them passive. And they did it by thinking they were serving necessity. But whenever they did that, they fell away from God. And that passivity is a big part of it, and we see that. And that is totally related to our discernment conversation here because when you become passive, you say, well, I guess I'm just going to let stuff happen to me that, that happens. And we have a big problem with that in humanity, going all the way back to Adam in the garden, just being passive while Eve's over there talking it up with a snake <laughs> about eating a fruit. Come on, man. All right. That's enough for me. Pastor Manning, your thoughts on all this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
No, I, I think like as you and Mike are, are drawing these conclusions, it, it's interesting. Again, I think often we think of discernment in very intellectual terms and 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 what I mean by that is like we think it's all about thinking through like a mind puzzle or something like that. Um like reading a book, a mystery book, and trying to figure out before the detective who did it, or watching yeah, a, a yeah. detective procedural and trying to figure out who did it. But really, it, even when we apply that to our lives, we're like, okay, we've got to kind of think this through. And yes, again, thinking it through is a good part of it. But discernment, real discernment, moves us then to action. So we discern whether we should trust somebody, or what systems we play into, or how we um, communicate and enact the kingdom in our actions. And so this is really like discernment pulls us away from purely a sit-down mental uh, project to something that is that plus more. It is action. It is movement. um, And we find that by enacting those discernments and living into those discernments is actually then when we kind of live out wisdom and figure out, because wisdom isn't just like good advice. It is advice that's lived out in a good life. Um, and so yeah. that's where we're, we, we find in this kind of this conversation we're having. And even in this passage, uh, we see when with Peter, his good discernment, what that leads to, but also the discernment of Ananias and Sapphira and, and their bad discernment and what that leads to. Yeah. And we'll get to that text here in a moment. Pastor Mike, I know you had something you wanted to share before we get into Acts 5. Well, I, I just want to say, you know, the, to... To, to reject passivity and apathy is to lead courageously. And, and I was just thinking earlier, you know, on, the, on one of the following segments, it's coming with St. Agnes. We see uh, someone that's going to be leading courageously, and you have to see that there's method and order, that things are happening in a way that that benefits others tremendously. And it starts with this discernment, and we have to... Uh, really, I think, spend the energy to, to uh, and the time with God in prayer to, to find that discernment. Yeah, so let's look at a passage where we apply this. Pastor Amanda, you brought up how we tend to think of this as some sort of mystery-solving tool, which I don't think Scripture actually tells us that. Mm. We might have an answer, but it doesn't come with all the information that we might want. Mm. A lot of times the world tells us, well, you've got to wait because you don't have all the information. But, you know, that's a bit of a scam because we're never going to be God. We're never going to have all the answers, all the information in this life. We're not going to. What we're really told is wait till there's a certain amount of information, which is then deemed official by a certain group of people, and then it's okay for your brain to think that it's good and true. But, of course, the world is not sanctified by its own power, so that itself is just a bit of a farce. Discernment doesn't come to beat the devil at his own game, but instead it tells us truth when a lot of times we we can't lay down on the world's terms why something is true. So let's read Acts 5. It says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, they kept back part of the money for themselves and then brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so what we have going on here in this chapter is Ananias and Sapphira, they're going to work a scam. In our modern day and age, we have this language of virtue signaling when somebody pretends to be virtuous when they're not. I think we should change that language to virtue scamming. (laughs) And this story is a classic example of it. What happens here, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, 
isn't that they wanted to keep some of their stuff. They could have kept their land. They could have kept their money. They didn't have to do it. The evil is they came to the church pretending they were laying it all down for the use of God, for the use of God's kingdom, and they were actually keeping it back. They said, you know, I'm going to pretend I'm giving everything to you, God, for your church to take care of. Except they weren't. They lied about it. They were scamming. And Peter watches this happen. And as you listen to the story, I want you to see, can you find out anywhere that Peter knows the truth of this? How is it that Peter knows? And my answer to that is discernment. Something tripped the little gray cells in Peter's mind. He's sanctified now. He has the power of the Holy Spirit resting with him. Jesus wasn't fooled when people tried to lie and scam him. Neither is Peter. Verse 3, it says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart and that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You have kept back for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Did it not belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money also yours to use as you wished? What made you think that you would come here and do such a thing? You haven't just lied to me, to human beings, but you have lied to God. Now, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard it and what had happened. And some men came, young men. They wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Now, we're going to pause for this story for just a second. Because we see Jesus call out people who are lying. This has happened before. The apostles will do it a few different times. We don't always see people die. I don't know about y'all. I've called out people who are lying before. No one's uh, struck dead in front of you? No. And I mean, there's been times in my own, you know, sinful past where I've been called out for things I didn't do quite well. By the grace of God, I didn't fall dead for it. You know, Peter actually seems to be calm, not just at the fact that he discerned a truth that was pretty well hidden, but when he calls out the truth, Ananias just drops dead. Anybody want to comment on that before we move on in our story? Pastor Mike? Well, you know, as, as I was hearing that, you know, there, there's something there uh, about this fraud that's really going on. And, it, and so it's like, you know, we've heard, heard other scriptures in Acts where, uh, you know, they want to buy the power of God, this Holy Spirit. And, and, yep. and uh, you know, there's an element here that I think reaches beyond finances, that it is about trying to be someone of power and authority and influence by maybe a manipulation of saying yeah. they've given everything. And we should always be uh, looking and have discernment in those areas. But I think the, the, the lure for uh, power and place of influence inside the people of God is often uh, you know, a slippery slope to, to you know, communion with Satan, which is very deadly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And just to wrap up this scripture really quickly, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened to her husband. And Peter asked her, he said, tell me, did you and your husband Ananias sell this land for this price? And she says, yes, for that is the price. And then Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the man who buried your husband, they're at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell at his feet and died. And the young men, they came in, finding her dead. They picked her up, carried her out, and they buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard it and all that heard about these events. Now, we read this scripture. sounds pretty brutal. Mm. 
We often read this as a warning against bearing false witness. Totally is. <laughs> be, be wary of, of your lying. God is one that is going to judge the living and the dead. Wicked deeds are going to be paid that are left unatoned. We don't always see judgment so quickly, but Scripture warns you sometimes judgment does come quickly. So just, just keep all that in mind. But I want us to look at this more so from the perspective of Peter because Peter sees truth. Going back to something you said earlier, Amanda, there's a mystery that some people may not even see. You might just think he's being honest. If you see people bringing money, other people have done this, you might not even realize you're being scammed. Peter not only sees the scam, but he knows the truth of it and calls it out. Now, Peter doesn't do like the end of a Sherlock Holmes or Poirot story where he, they lay out how all the crime <laughs> happened. doesn't happen. Yeah. All the little details aren't given, but the truth is still known. And I think that's something that we should appreciate because that shows us discernment. And if you want to be able to see freely, see clearly and not be distracted by the world and not just be a prisoner to how the world wants you to think and live, discernment is the answer. And that comes with sanctification. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, I, I think what, what makes it so interesting is, um, again, the world would kind of come at us and say, well, you don't have all the answers. You can't make uh, those accusations. And and Peter didn't have to have all the answers, and yet he still got to the correct answer. And, you know, I think as someone who lives within a society that, that definitely starts with suspicion and Sometimes it's it's good to have healthy suspicion where you feel like you have to prove yourself and like you have to prove that this is the truth, um, whatever that may be, um, whether it's the truth of God, the truth of your calling, the, the truth of, of your life. Um, the world is always asking, antagonizing those questions. And for Peter just to simply say this is truth and let the consequences speak for themselves and maybe that's why, yeah, I, I don't know why Ananias and Sapphira have to drop dead when there were plenty of liars that, that did not. Um, but maybe there was in that moment, in that action, that it speaks to the severity of yeah. what happens when you try to uh, trick the church or trick God, really ultimately is what it's saying, lying to the Holy Spirit. And as we work, especially within the life of the church, and we are faced with several uh, con artists, both from without and within, this call to discernment is a very scary thing because we, we don't want to accuse people. We don't want to wag our finger at people because then they might leave the church. Um, but, you know, honestly, if they're lying to you, they've already left the full communion. Yeah. And you are, by calling them out, you can actually give them the opportunity to live more faithfully into the fellowship and no, we don't hope anyone drops dead for lying, um, but we do hope that by speaking truth, uh, we can cultivate a more faithful people. Sure. And I think we'll wrap it up there. Let truth have its day. Truth is its own reward. Declare it. We are often very reluctant to declare the good, the true, and the beautiful. This passage is all about declaring it. I don't know that Peter is expecting them to die. You don't really see Peter not, say not anything. Not with that, the first one. I mean, yeah. he knows by, by the yeah. time Sephira comes, he's like, there's a pattern. But the first one, he just simply says the truth and then. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something to behold. All right, we'll be back. We're <laughs> going to look at a saint from church history. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back here in a moment.
Alrighty, as we prepare for March, one of the saints that comes up in the Christian calendar is St. Agnes of Bohemia. And we've talked about her before, but let's go back and get a little refresher. Because when it comes to discerning, we always wonder, where should I be going in life? We always look at the great royal figures, someone like King Arthur or Anastasia, all the people that we see in royalty and wonder who we might like to be. Well, we're going to look at somebody who actually was a real princess in history. Her name was Agnes. She was a princess in the Bohemian Empire. And we're going to see how she really found a beautiful life not just looking for worldly royalty, but the royalty that is found in the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to take a look at her, and we'll be back. St. Agnes of Bohemia Agnes began her life in what sounds like a royal fantasy. She was a princess, the daughter of Queen Constance and King Odokar I of Bohemia. Early in life, she became betrothed to the Duke of Silesia. However, the fairy tale did not unfold as we might expect, for the Duke died prior to their marriage. After this, Agnes looked toward heaven instead of at worldly kingdoms. Rather than a life serving political affairs, she sought to change the world through Christian works and prayer. Agnes set her eyes on the King of Heaven and was moved to live her life in complete service to Christ rather than pursue the accoutrements of worldly royalty. Although she had many offers for marriage, including those from the King of England, the King of Germany, and the Holy Roman Emperor, she turned them all down to be the servant in the church. Frederick II, who was the Holy Roman Emperor, said he could not be offended at Agnes if she preferred the King of Heaven to him. Although she was becoming less of a worldly princess, the truth that she was a daughter of God only gave her more of a beautiful life. Now that she was dedicated to Christian living, she would nobly write about the beauty of living a life for Christ and his gospel. Agnes built a hospital for the poor and also housing for the church. She financed evangelistic work and paid to construct buildings that would advance the Christian faith. Particularly, she financed a poor Clare monastery in Prague, a place she would enter as a sister after its completion. There were several other noble women who joined her in doing the work of the church entering the monastery with her. Agnes never shied away from humble duties and would cook for the other sisters and mend the clothes of lepers. She was not one to give money for the sick without being personally involved in their care. She was known for being both very kind and very strict. She was elected the abbess and forced to accept her official title, but she preferred to be simply known as the senior sister. She was born in the early 1200s and passed on March 6 of 1282. Alrighty, so there it is, St. Agnes of Bohemia, and she lived there in the 13th century or the 1200s, if anyone wants to do the confusing reality of how we count centuries in time. But there's a lot of things we can learn from her. And the first I want us to talk about is her character was known as being very kind and very strict. We can look throughout our history and learn a lot from those who have gone before us. And this is one of the attributes she has, which I think is really worth talking about. She's known for being very kind and very strict. Mm. We oftentimes think of those things being opposed to one another. But really, they're not. We can actually look at Jesus and see Jesus is really kind, but also very strict. So what do you all think about that? Really kind and really strict. Well, I think that's, I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, Jesus comes and gives us uh, the law, and but renews it in, in, in the revelation of who he is as the son of God. And so we see discipline, but we also see compassion. And yeah, as a world, and I think that is worldly thinking wants us to put pin those two things together. Because if we pin justice versus mercy or piety versus 
uh, or acts of piety over and against acts of, of mercy, then we're always competing against ourselves. Like, yeah. are we kind or are we strict? Well, you're strict, so you go to this church. Well, you're kind, so you go to this denomination. Yeah. And we're against each other versus actually being a unified body or a unified self. Uh, so speaking both communally and individually. Um, and what we find in here in these beautiful examples of the life of Christ, ultimately, yes, but in this particular saint, is that she did both. And she did both very well because she was able to maintain these holy orders um, and also to impact the world around her in such a magnificent w way that even now there are hospitals uh, named after her that continue on in this memory and this veneration uh, of her dedication of her life. You know, you mentioned earlier how the world wants us to pit things against one another that really shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Strictness and kindness should not be pitted, pitted against one another, if I can say that without goofing. <laughs> And this is one of the things where critical thinking really comes in. There's a proper place for certain things. Mm -hmm. And the world wants us to think in terms of, you know, this versus that. All of these really false choices between two things, which are oftentimes not actually real, but they are just ways to get to manipulate you. I mean, you can see our political system is largely structured around this, where people very rarely actually affirmatively vote for anything. It's, it's often more times they vote against something, and you just have a perpetual cycle of, of chaos that grows out of that. Um, that's largely what you have with like a two-party system. We've seen that going on for, for a very long time now. That's kind of the, the history of things. But it goes much further than that. You find oftentimes people will reject something because they they don't like what it, it stands against or they do like, you know, what's over here, so we're going to reject what's over there. Just sort of a, a really bad way of thinking that says, because of the qualities of this over there, I'm going to make my decision about the qualities of this over here without really considering anything about it. And that's very destructive. And we find that that really happens in morality. And you mentioned kind of truth and mercy. But you can find this with all the Christian virtues. And this is what has been so destructive about a lot of things which has happened in the Protestant world is we have designed our denominations to say, well, that church over there really likes missions. This church over here really likes, you know, the strict discipline. You know, we, we dress a certain way. We educate a certain way. And, you know, that church over there, they really like music or this or that. But, but things get pieced apart, and it's very destructive because it just creates this culture of split things apart and break down. And it's destructive to the mind mm. because the true character of Christ, it holds in tension the great love of God and also that final judgment of God. And we need to learn to be very strict and very kind. Mm. Pastor Mike? Well, I think for uh, the senior sister who actually uh you know of the monastery there had such a life of order um, and i mentioned earlier method and order helped her to lead courageously but i believe that as long as she she was in this uh life of order and everything that there was such a discernment to not only look at the circumstances at hand and knowing that kindness and strictness are not to be uh, pitted against one another, but to, to take every situation and, and allow it to be an opportunity for something larger. It's that eternal 
um, investment and that eternal significance that everything that seems like that she did was so um, meant towards that treasure and it was out reaching out to others and helping and so I, as as we as we look at her life um, and I think March the sixth is uh, when we when we celebrate her um, death I think is when did is it her this? life really yeah. we don't March celebrate 6th. her life more than her death but generally on on their death but you know she's uh, uh just an amazing lady and a, and a tremendous leader in in the church and has made uh you know wonderful uh contributions to this world sure and we'll wrap this segment up rather quickly but i do want to end with this point we generally think of someone who is the holy roman emperor to be pretty posh <laughs> and somebody who's not humble at all but his response when being turned down to Agnes for marriage was, I cannot be offended that you prefer the king of heaven to me. I mean, is that not taking something in stride? A lot of these people would be really mad. (laughs) Is there satire in this? Is there some sort of sarcasm? I mean, (laughs) what in the world? You know, I think coming in second place, he's saying, I'm coming in second place to Jesus. (laughs) And uh, hey, that's a pretty high elevation even at that. So (laughs) he turned in... uh, perhaps a little bit of rejection into a very positive and I, you know I think that speaks of her life too she's a very holy um, lifestyle that that was you know influential even among emperors so yeah. wow mm. you said something that brought up one idea she has a healthy and whole character that's why she can be very kind and very strict. Going back to our last conversation on discernment, healthy and whole people understand you can declare the truth even if you don't have all the answers and you can't entirely tell every detail of why you know something is true. Yeah, well, and I think that's is we, we hear things about being a full person or being an actualized person or even in Christian language being a sanctified person. And we think that means like there's a seal and a stamp on it and there's nothing else that happens. But what we actually hear in this language is it's still a growing process. That dis- You never are done discerning. You're never done being sanctified. You're never done being an actualized human being. Growth happens even in those moments. But when you come to the end of yourself and you trust not in your own discernment, but in God's, when you trust not in your own holiness, but God's, uh, you find that you're a whole person and able to work better in the world. Yeah. That you can better save the world, participate yeah. in God's redemption of the world um, in those actions and in that discernment because you are continually going back to God. You are continually resting in God. You are continually trusting in God's wisdom to move you forward, to learn, okay, when does this person need if we are going to make kindness and strict strictness a dichotomy when does this person need more kindness when does this person need more strictness uh when does the same person at different points in their lives need one more than the other and again not that the two are competing but just knowing all right this is how i need to react and you know what again sanctification doesn't make you infallible um you still may might make mistakes not sin hopefully but you might still make mistakes, but yet there is this continual drawing closer to God. So then you can move forward in those actions and better fulfill your what it means to be human, which is to participate in the mission of God. Yep. 
Alrighty, well, we'll be back in a moment. We're going to have a little Bible study where we look at Mark chapter 6 and see something that amazes God. We always hear in the Gospels people being amazed when they see miracles. We're going to look at something where um, God incarnate, Jesus himself, is amazed at something that people do. People do something so bad that it amazes Jesus. So we'll be back and look at that. Alrighty. Thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos. And we would encourage you to support our channel. Of course, we're on YouTube. We're also on Rumble. And we are now on Rumble as Kingdom of the Logos. I've been trying to get all of our pages and things straightened out there. And if you would like to help us out monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the Logos. And we would greatly appreciate that. That money just goes to running things around here, keeping up equipment and things of that nature. But we're going to wrap up our program today with a Bible study looking at Mark chapter 6. And in this, we find Jesus amazed at something. Now we see all throughout the New Testament. We find people being in fear and awe whenever Jesus works miracles. We even see in the book of Acts, there are people who are just in awe, just struck at the things that the church does. But no, no, today we see something different. Because the last verse we're going to read shows us Jesus being amazed at something stupid that people do. <laughs> so does anybody have any thoughts on that before we reveal what it is? I, it, yeah, just I the just, fact that Jesus could be amazed. Well, one, Jesus can be amazed, but you, you would wish Jesus would be amazed at their faith or their compassion or anything. But no, he's amazed at, like, it's like when you watch a video and you're just like, or YouTube, and you're like, I can't believe they did that. You know, that's the level of amazement that is happening. It's more incredulousness than, than it is uh, awe-inspiring. But um, And that's so sad because I is. really hope most of the time Jesus is amazed by our compassion and not amazed by our, our yeah, stupidity. You know, <laughs> I get the impression that God made Adam and Eve wanting them to do amazing things that were aspirational. I don't think he really wanted to to come down in the cool of every day and be like, wow, they're just so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. Never ceases to amaze. <laughs> Never ceases to amaze. Um, bring in the Bed Intruder song that was really popular like 10 years ago down in Alabama. Um, you are dumb. You are so dumb. Yeah. Um, oh, no. Anyways, anyways, back to this. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Jesus. He left there and went to his hometown. And as we know, his hometown is Nazareth, there in Galilee. And he was accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath day came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many people who heard Jesus were amazed. And they said, where did this man get these things? And you just, I love the language that, that is translated here. Where did he get these things? Like you can hear people just mad, like mad that Jesus is able to do something good. They're mad at that. Mm. And which we found before, when Jesus cast out demons, it makes people mad. They, they don't like to see this all the time. The world does not naturally like to see good things. Um, a lot of times they get really mad at it. So they asked, what's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said, 
A prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, among his relatives and those near his own home. And Jesus, he could not do any miracles there. He laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. That was the exception. And Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. So as we look at this, we're going to switch gears a little bit and then we'll come back to this because I want us to talk about psychology, about how we we think and interact. Obviously, there's a breakdown in how people think and interact in Nazareth. So we need to talk about the psychology of this before we jump back to it. I want us to think about a triangle, a triangle of thinking, feeling, and doing. We find in Scripture, sometimes people don't really understand in their mind exactly who Jesus is. They'll come along and they'll say something like, I believe, help my unbelief. They're acting, they're still doing like they should, and they have some sort of feeling that is correct, but they're not exactly sure in their mind. So, they do. And Jesus blesses that, by the way. Mm -hmm. There are other times we have people who clearly understand who Jesus is, um, Peter, it'd be an example of this. He understands who Jesus is. He gets a little bit better as time un- unfolds. But yet, as they get closer and closer to the cross, ultimately, Peter is unable to, to carry out those actions. He, he fails in the doing. We can look in the Old Testament, and we can find Jonah, who in his heart wants to run away from God, but yet his brain, after spending three days in the, the belly of that megasketosh, you know, that big old fish, he sorts out, God is actually telling me the truth. So his brain understands, and he's acting. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches. He gets the thinking and the doing correct. His heart is still in a bad place. And as we know in Jonah chapter 4, do you do well to be angry? His heart never really gets in the place it probably should. Mm. May God have mercy on Jonah. We, we see that there is a triangle here of thinking, feeling, and doing. And whenever we go out and do... Even though we may not think or understand correctly, a lot of times that thinking and understanding will will get better. I know myself, as I've gotten older and more mature, there are a lot of things that didn't feel right in my heart, especially as a young pastor. A lot of things which didn't feel right, maybe in my brain, but yet they were the biblical truth. So I went ahead and and I went to teach them, even though I didn't fully understand them, I didn't really get it in my heart why it was true. But then after spending years teaching that, it comes and illuminates itself to me and eventually the feeling and the thinking comes. We know that sometimes when you think something is true, that does move you to act a certain way. So do our feelings. So all these three things are connected, and they do influence one another. And faith really steps in in the truth of how we live. When you're in the dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, regardless of what you understand, regardless of what you feel, do you continue to walk with God? Do you continue to act as God wants you to act? Because God will bless that. Jesus is amazed at how these people have a breakdown in the points of that triangle. Mm. And that's in all three of them. Yeah. And I'll let y'all talk. I've talked for a while. (laughs) Y'all step in here. The breakdown of logic of everything. Well, and and that's the thing. Like, they even say, like, who is he to perform miracles? So they've seen his miracles. Yep. And you would think, like, you know, generally someone comes in and does something amazing. It at least gets your attention. You're like... How, how is this possible? 
and, and you know, Jesus is teaching. And I like that uh, mostly in Mark, where, where Matthew and Luke will go in great depth, and John as well will go in great depth of what the actual words of Jesus are. Mark just goes, he preached. Like, he teached. Like, you don't need to know the particulars because you know what he did, what he said by what he did. We yeah. know who Jesus is um, by the fact that the kingdom is enacted when he calls fishermen to then become fishers of people, when he frees people from from uh, demon possessions, when he heals the sick, uh, when he brings families back together. Like, this is the kingdom of God. And not that his words aren't important, but it's more than just this. the words he says. It is actually by what he's doing. And the people see those actions, and they have an intimate interaction with Jesus, and yet they're still not willing to either cognitively assent or even allow it to change their heart. And it becomes amazing that then they point to the brothers and the sisters and Mary and be like, oh, well, like, we know his family. And, like, how insulting would that be for Mary? Like, oh, we know you. We know your son can't be special. Like, okay. But, you know, so they, they're trying to even almost intellectually discount the knowledge they already know. Like, logic would say yeah. you perform miracles, you know, therefore... If only God can heal and give life and true life, then anyone who heals and gives true life is of God. That's logic. And yet then they're trying to make a logical game that says, well, because we know your brothers and your sisters and your mama, you must not be from God. You're like, what? Like, and, and I mean, you got Moses and prophets, people with very earthly heritage uh, that didn't even claim to be the son of God, of the living God, the word incarnate. And you revere them as sent by God. Like, I'm just saying, like, any way you poke at this, you're finding holes very easily. And yet they're willing to act out on this illogic or this illogical thinking. And so much so that Jesus, God's self is contained by human disbelief, which is just a fantastic thing to think about as well. But but anyways. Yeah. And to, to kind of touch on some of the things you said there. <laughs> There's a breakdown in all areas. They understand who he is. They, they see the miracles. They are moved by them. So there's some sort of emotional reaction, whether hatred or love, whatever. They, they have all the elements to believe. But it reminds me of something I've seen a lot in our modern world. People generally only will accept something as being true, not based on the knowledge, not even really based on the feeling, not even based on the doing. But we accept something is true if we want to live with the consequences of that being true, mm. if we want to deal with that. And if they accept what they know in their brain, what they saw with their eyes and feel in their heart, and and what that would call them to do, that would mean Jesus is the Messiah and they all need to change their lives. Mm. But they don't really want to do that. So they, they throw away their brains. They make themselves kind of rotten and dumb in the mind. They throw away what they felt, and instead of doing what they are led to do, they turn that into 180 degrees and, you know, decide we've got to do something about Jesus. Let's throw him off a cliff or something um, <laughs> to kind of get into some of the other gospel details we get on here. But, Pastor Mike? Well, that word faith, it also means trust and loyalty and fidelity. And so there's this whole lack of trust and faith, 
uh, of in Jesus, but really even in their own community. And so what's happening here for me is, is, when I read this is that not only are they, they not believing, but what's really happening is this Jesus doesn't fit the narrative that they want Jesus to fit. And that is a very dangerous place to go. It doesn't, it even says, it's not even, it's so little discernment going in because truth is not as important as their narrative of what it should be. And that's a very dangerous place to be, obviously. Yeah, for sure. You, you bring up kind of like the whole narrative thing here. They have their expectations of who the Messiah will be. Jesus doesn't fit that. So they just throw away their brains, basically. They, they throw away that gift that God gave Adam and Eve that made them unique, and they make it passive. And the, the arguments they make are really dumb. <laughs> like, th- this is easy to poke a hole in. Him being the son of Mary... The name of your mother has nothing to do with how skilled or unskilled you are at working miracles. The truth of that rests in, did you work the miracle? <laughs> and the fact that, well, like, your sister's over here, like, okay. And? Did, was <laughs> so? the sermon good? Yeah. Did did I speak the truth of the kingdom of God? Were people healed? Well, but, and, and, like, they say, like, he's a carpenter, but then they also say he performed miracles. So I'm just thinking, like, what else are, are the, your carpenters doing in Nazareth? Like, were, was every carpenter performing miracles? So this was like, yeah, this is normal. He's not really all that great. Like, what was going on in Nazareth at that point? Or <laughs> alternatively, were the carpenters trying to do miracles and doing it badly? So they were like, well, we, we know that the carpentry miracles aren't that good. We <laughs> we like that brand of Simon Magus, you know, the Simon Magus miracle over there that, that comes. We like that kind, not this carpenter stuff. I mean... Like, come on, Like, what, what's going on here? It's dumb. It's really dumb, Pastor Mike. Well, you know, this whole understanding of not fitting the narrative, there's so much good to mm. be uh, received in the teachings. And the teachings of Jesus, uh, as Amanda said earlier, you know, Mark kind of really doesn't tell us a lot about what Jesus is doing there. He's just teaching and preaching. But from, from the entire everything we know about Jesus, what beauty, what blessings there are, and and righteousness to be uh, had there, and yet all of this is not received because they fail to believe. Wow. It's a, it is, a, it's an amazing uh, tragedy. An amazing tragedy. That, that would be a good, if you were translating and putting the Bible into different passages, that would be a good way to describe this, an amazing tragedy. If you were to yeah, retitle this section. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing. Like, God is all-powerful, and yet God makes God's self vulnerable to us. And God does not force God's self onto us. And that says then how merciful our God is. But it also says we get to live either into that grace in life or not. And this is an example of people who didn't live into grace. And like what miracles did they miss out on? What healing, what what compassion, what mercy, what justice did they miss out on because they could not believe. Oh sure. Oh sure. Well, we're going to wrap up our program there. And I do want to throw out there that that scripture actually reminds us pretty pretty common. You can look at, look at Psalm 99:8. You can look at 2 Peter 3. Um, God is a forgiving God, mm-hmm. willing to forgive those who will be forgiven, but he's also a just God, and those wicked deeds, there will be judgment. 
for those things unatoned. Okay, so let's close with our final thoughts for interesting things that have happened this week or something just to look forward to, just whatever thought is on your mind. Our final thought, prediction, whatever it be. Pastor Amanda? Sorry, I was like, I was trying to think. I'm like, I forgot to think my final thought. What's my final thought? And then I remembered. Regal Theater said that uh, uh, they're kind of waiting on different states to do something because they want to open up all their theaters at once versus cer certain ones. And it's looking good, people, so we may be able to go back to the movies soon. Uh, things you never thought a Nazarene preacher would say, but uh, yay, movies! <laughs> well, that is not something one would expect to hear a Nazarene preacher say, but here we are. Pastor Mike? I, I uh, my wonderful wife finally decided to retire after 30 years of teaching, but more than that, before she announced her retirement, she was uh, uh, voted upon. She was Teacher of the Year, and uh, I, in this past, since COVID hit, when she was teaching virtual, she has kids in the classroom, has kids, but I've got to watch her kind of, I'm kind of like a fly on the wall in the classroom as she's teaching virtual. And of course, now she's back in doing both, but it was just beautiful to see um, my wife at work, something that I don't really get to do much. But yeah, it was a great week for me. Exciting. Yes, that is exciting indeed. And for things that you didn't expect to hear someone say, if someone would have said that I was going to buy another car in the near future, because <laughs> I, I have a, a Mini that I drive, I've got a little BMW Z4. I don't necessarily like having a lot of stuff sitting around, but if someone had said, you're going to buy another car, I'd be like, I'm a little surprised but not shocked. If somebody <laughs> shuffled the deck of random things and pulled out 1984 Mercury Lynx and told me that I was going to buy one, I don't know that I would believe it. That would shock me. But there's one smooth word which makes this all come true. Diesel. Mm. And I have recently purchased a 1984 Mercury Lynx diesel with five-speed manual transmission. So if anybody's wondering if we're living in 1984, yes, indeed we are. <laughs> and I have so much moved into 1984 that I have bought the 1984 Mercury Lynx diesel with five-speed manual transmission, reminding us that you never know what is going to happen. <laughs> but despite all of this, there's goodness to be had in life. Mm. Not in material things, of course, but God wants us to have aspirations and Make good in the world. Yeah. So we'll close with that. God love you and have a blessed day. Thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos.